Welcome to Old Providence, where things used to be and sometimes still are. I'm Maureen Taylor, curator and creator of oldpvd.com, a georeferencing and crowdsourcing site where you can plot your history and the story of Providence on a series of historical maps. In my other life, I'm known as the photo detective for my work revealing family history in photographs and interpreting visual history. I've had a lifelong love of Rhode Island's capital city. Whether you've recently moved here, visited on vacation, or have a deep connection to the area, you can add images and stories to oldpvd.com. It's free. Anyone can participate. My dream is for a collective sharing of the changes to the city. It is ever-changing, and never more so than right now. For what is here today could easily be gone tomorrow, resigned to Old Providence. The stories of these places and people are part of our everyday lives, or those of our ancestors. My guest today is Roz Rustigan of Rustigan Rugs. So Roz, tell me about your, your time in Providence. Have you lived here all your life? What was the city like when you were growing up? I live in the same house that I was born in. So that makes me a lying in hospital baby, way before women and infants. I lived on Benefit Street and still do. I I grew up there in the 50s and early 60s. So I was right in the thick of all the uh, Providence renovations and historic um, renovations that were going on back then. I think that I am the longest landowning original family owner on the street. That could well be. I'm pretty sure it's true. There's one other family that might have pre predated me, but it's an in-law that's still alive, not an original family member. So, so your parents lived in that house as well. What about you? Wow. I have a friend who who still lives in his ancestral home. Uh, but most, a, most people move around a lot. Yeah, it's a rare occurrence these days. It is. So when you think about the business, because mm-hmm. the focus of this limited edition series is on Providence businesses, what was the inspiration for your family starting the Stegans? The Depression. The Depression. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But but why rugs? Uh, That's easy. So my father had graduated from Brown and had started Harvard Law School. And the market crashed. Somewhere, either through college or right after college, he he had worked in New Orleans for a rug dealer and... His mother was the cousin of a guy whose estate and preeminence in the rug business was um, is 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 paramount to this day. Uh, he's the first guy who really established weaving facilities in India way back when, 
And when the depression hit, my father dropped out of Harvard Law School and borrowed rugs from the McCallion family in New York and set up a sort of boutique. Um, I, I would bet that he was smart enough to know then that he wasn't going to get rich selling run-of-the-mill stuff, but there were plenty of people who still had money. Mm. Right. There were still people who had money, and rugs hold their value. So he never actually went back to law school. No. Mm -mm. He wanted me to, but that didn't work out so well. And I'm delighted I didn't go to law school. Delighted. And so for a while, according to the company history, he operated the business out of the house that you now live in. That's correct. So the showroom was in a garage behind the house, which I, many, 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 many years ago was a stable or a carriage house. Mm -hmm. And when my father was a little boy, the second garage definitely was where the family horse lived. So he converted that into a showroom. He, so can, he converted the, the, the small garage, the, the, the real stable ultimately became a dry room for washing rugs and the, the big showroom, the four car garage show, showroom is where I now live. <laughs> and so when did you move into this building in Fox Point? We bought the building at a bankruptcy court in, the, in August of 1981. I was 28 or 29. And it was a bank? No. No. It was built, was built as a bank in 1924, probably enjoyed a very abbreviated period as a bank, and it variously thereafter was a workout gym where Rocky Marciano is reputedly one of the train, trainees there. And then it went on to become a paint and wallpaper store under two uh, different owners. Then you bought it at the bankruptcy sale in 1981. Correct. So then the business expanded at that point. Well, I took it from my house to a, a, a normal retail environment. So he was operating the rug business outside, out of the building on your property on Benefit Street. From what, 1929 to 1981? 1930 to 1980. 50 years. Mm -hmm. You don't think about Benefit Street as being a business district. It was primarily residential. Well, it wasn't a business district, but that was before city zoning laws were in effect. So, mm. so what do you remember about? that early iteration of the store being in the in the house yeah where i learned to climb and crawl and my babysitters were his rug cleaners and with a pretty rough crew i when i was really little the the rugs were cleaned in a cleaning plant down the hill on james street which was later taken over by eminent domain to improve the bottom of the street when South Main Street was all being plowed under mm -hmm. and renovated. Uh, so he lost that 
sort of had to back off a little on the cleaning business. But by the time I was a teenager again, he was washing rugs that time in the driveway. So, you know, it's a varied past. It's a varied past. But I would imagine that, I mean, how many other rug businesses were there in Providence when your father opened his business? Probably five. There were probably five of them. Spread out all over the city or mostly in downtown and on the east side? I think Anjurians was on North Main Street back then. Um, there was some guy up off of Atwell's Avenue. Um, there are plenty of rug cleaners around. So it, it, there, there was a, more than there is now. Would you say how many are there now? Two. Two. And all the, all the places that were operating when I started were, for the most part, male-owned, and I won. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the point behind this podcast is to <laughs> investigate businesses in Providence that are either no longer with us or that have, you know, stayed around for a very long time, particularly family businesses, because they're incredibly interesting to me having my family had a family business from the 1870s until my dad, you know, was in his 50s. Not any kind of business like a brick and mortar business, but it was still a family business. Yeah. And all businesses have a life cycle, right? They have a date at which they're born, and not all businesses last forever covid and many many other things like the death of horseshoeing would be insurmountable oppositions from a in from a business point of view you know you're just not going to beat them but if you want to keep a business open and there's even a chance if you're not getting caught in a tsunami the other thing that is absolutely positively essential is that the owner cannot entertain the notion of failure. It's not a possibility. Out of the question. That and a good bank account. The grit is more important than the bank account. There are ways to use human assets instead of money. <laughs> The, the old barter system. <laughs> uh, sort of. Maybe a little manipulation. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> maybe a little opportunism. <laughs> but when you think about your business, because you're now, you know, taking on your father's legacy, there, there had to have been peaks and valleys. I mean, your dad started the business in 1930. Things didn't get better right away. And then we had other market crashes, not nearly oh, as severe. I survived any number of market crashes. So they, they just sort of flick off my back now. Mm -hmm. Because you, I, you, you already had the experience. I know when I'm in danger. Mm -hmm. And it's not a comfortable feeling, but incidentally this last round has not been particularly nerve-wracking at all mm. it's oddly okay 
Mm-hmm. But and then and I'll be I'll be completely frank, and maybe I'll put some of your listeners off. I've been operating since the Trump election as though something catastrophic was going to happen. So on the day the world shut down, I had strong receivables, almost no payables, strong cash position, owed the world almost nothing, and I did it all on purpose. I had cut buying inventory, all of those things, because I knew that it was going to come crashing down. Something would happen. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't sure where it was going to come from, but I knew it was going to happen in Mm -hmm. my gut. But you're a second generation business owner. You have a long. That usually means your genes are diluted. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but it means that your business in 10 years will be 100 years old. Yes, I'm getting closer too. We're all getting closer. But let's talk about we're, no, we're 90. You're 90 years old. You're 90. That's a long time for a business. Yeah. Not very many businesses last that long. No, but brick and mortar retail. Hmm? <laughs> I will not take failure as an option. There you go. And there's okay. that grit that you talk about. Right. There's a good there's a book called Grit. So when you think about, like, what was the neighborhood like around the house when your father started his business in 1930? What was Uh, Benefit Street like? Benefit Street was a mixed bag, sort of a a verging slums on both sides and a very, very racially mixed neighborhood. Um, Lots of blacks, lots of Portuguese on both ends of the street, on the extreme north and on the extreme south of the street. Right smack in the middle in what's now very, very white land was the Providence Boys Club. And the kids from Fox Point would regularly troop by our house. And I used to make cookies for them. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very used to diversity. And that... And my father had always hired people from the neighborhood. He had hired kids. He had hired fathers. He had taken on their sons. And I kept up the tradition. And when I moved to Governor Street, when it was just being gentrified, lots of other places had trouble with vandalism. I did not. Mm-hmm. And. I, I think it was a testimony to my not being part of that other or an invader, but I was just still known as part of the neighborhood, my father's daughter, and it it was stood me and the business and the building in good stead. Mm-hmm. And what what was the neighborhood like around the building that you're in now when you moved in in 1980? Oh, it was a drug dealing Drug dealing and drunken heaven. Well, most of Providence really? was like that, right? Not like this. I mean, you mm-hmm. could we could sit and watch releases of cash and drugs pass hands in, in the car in the front of the store. It was tough. Mm-hmm. Tough neighborhood. Well, the neighborhood is taking a different turn right now. 
it's it's fairly benign here i think yeah you before we got on this call you were talking about all the things that you remembered about providence and i'm wondering you know what you consider to be the best part of living in providence living in providence now is is much better than it used to be i experienced providence as a child as a very kind of cold place where the old new england standoffishness class lines religious boundaries color boundaries ethnic boundaries all those walls were erected 20 feet high and not me because i was living in a very very diverse neighborhood but i felt it i didn't feel it at gordon school but i certainly felt it at lincoln school when because i was a private school brat and <laughs> So I'm not unfamiliar with being an outsider. And I think a, that has changed, I think, much for the better. And physically, Providence was awful when I was a kid. And I'm not talking about Benefit Street. You know, that, that was a lot of private enterprise. But downtown, between the, the filthiness of the canal and the ecological disaster that had been allowed to happen here because of the various jewelry and textile concerns that were the lifeblood of commerce but sucked out everything from the environment it was just awful it literally was ugly and it smelled and i mean you grew up here it's what we just talked about and you've lived here all your life did you ever leave providence connecticut college cornell and New York City for a while, about 11 years between education and jobs. Mm -hmm. But then you came back. Mm -hmm. Providence, I think, has a tendency to get its hooks into you. you it draws you back. Providence didn't draw, draw me back. The house that I live in drew me back. Mm -hmm. It's pretty special. I would have to be a raging fool not to have <laughs> stayed with it <laughs> not to stay in that house so when you think about providence and you think about all the changes over time when you reminisce about being in the city and being younger or or even now do you have a favorite building that is no longer standing Hmm. Let's come back to that. Let me toss that around in the back of my my head. But may I offer up something else? Yes. I think Providence has benefited tremendously by having a diverse influx from other major metropolitan areas and other states. I think that has been extremely good. And I might also add that it's, it's on the negative side to that, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult place to do business. It is for luxury goods or, and, or even high-end high clothing. People want to go to very nearby, threateningly nearby, Boston, New York, 
and just overlook with a dismiss of the hand the local sources. Mm -hmm. So I've spent four decades mostly unsuccessfully trying to convey to people that they can buy from me the same stuff that they buy at big label, high ticket design centers in Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, maybe not with the breadth of choice, but when it gets down to that one thing, I've got it. And Providence is therefore worst trait is its proximity to all of these other really high profile places of unlimited inventory and unlimited style and pizzazz and elan we're overlooked is what you're it's saying tough bat yeah it's a tough battle so if you had advice for someone who was thinking of starting a business now yeah. other than grit with all of your experience running a business what would be your recommendation you've got to read the tea leaves um may I diverse mm -hmm. diverse and tell a story? Mid nineteen nineties, I was at an awards ceremony in Atlanta, Georgia, and I watched the CEO of the largest closely held multi multi million dollar corporation go up and accept an award in the middle of the handmade rug business for a $149 machine-made rug. And he looked as though he had just blossomed out of the Garden of Eden, erupted out of uh, a, a, a cannon in the middle of the Super Bowl. He was glowing with pride. And I thought to myself, that's the end of the handmade rug business. Guess what? I was right. So that's the kind of way you've got to look at the future with any endeavor. You've got to look at the merchandise you might be wanting to sell. You've got to look, look at the, at the long-term viability of the service that you might want to offer. And you've got to figure out whether it's got legs. So that's so my answer. So let's get back to that building that you liked in Providence. Ah, the building uh, I liked in Providence that got torn down. I more regret some of the ones that have been put up than I regret the ones that have been torn down, quite honestly. Mm. I think the Citizens Bank building is a, is a horror. I think the Old Stone, what, the building that houses Hemingway's, just awful. Mm. And of course, I live in an area where you're almost not allowed to tear anything down, so that's not ever been my concentration. Rhode Islanders love to talk about things that used to be there. Most of what I like is still open. I mean, there are the occasional lights. I used to, there was Siam Square on Fair Street, which was great. They did a classic thing, moved to Riverside, and it all fell apart. You know, restaurants are an odd, they're an odd duck. Let's say you're uh, a kid. Right. If you went downtown Providence, what would you do with your friends? I didn't really go downtown much. I went downtown to shop. What about like Wayland Square or Thayer Street? What are you? Well, they were shopping centers for certainly my mother for gifts for 
holidays or birthdays. And I mean, I knew every store on Whalen Square. And I think the only thing there is that the shoe repair store is still there. There might still be a bakery next to the shoe store. And I don't think anything else that I grew up knowing from right Reutemann's Drugstore to was around the corner, the Newport Creamery. There used to be a supermarket and a men's clothing store right now in the middle of Whalen Square, gone. So I, I remember they used to pack your food and send it out to the parking lot so you could come by in your car and pick it up from the rolling, <laughs> from that rolling cart thing. <laughs> Amazing. What's old is yeah. new. Yep. Yeah. All right, Ross, thank you so much. Thanks to the Rhode Island-based band The Vox Hunters for use of their track Bells of Providence and Trip to Pawtucket. Off their album, Fresh from the Board, Music from the Ocean State Songster, Volume 1. ¶¶